The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamualaikum, everyone, and welcome to Sister Speak. We also have an Instagram page called Sister Speak, where you can let us know your thoughts or any topics that you want us to discuss during the live. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm out of breath. I came a bit late. Yeah, that's okay. You came on on time. Um, so we've got Freen in the studio as well today. Hi, everyone. <laughs> um, so just to let everyone know what our show is about before we get into it all, our show is a platform for Muslim girls to voice their own opinions on various different um, topics, uh, ranging from things like religion to culture, politics. Um, so yeah, please do note that all opinions and views are our own and we respect all other similar or opposing views and opinions. Yep. Okay, so nice intro to the show. How I was going to say, ah, okay, I was literally going to say, yeah, let me start with non-existent because of our exams. Oh, yeah, exams, I, exactly. We're suddenly back. Exam season's over, <laughs> thank God. Um, you I know. feel like we had no life. How was your exam season, let me saw. Um, It was okay. It was, I guess these are our thoughts for the week. We can just have a little mini discussion. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I feel like exam season is always so draining. It just takes it all out of you. You prep so much for these like exams, which are two, three hours max, and then everything kind of rides on it or it feels that way it's um, so weird the last the last your last year of your exams feels like you have no life i'm getting so bored <laughs> at home now because really? you have no schedule of doing anything yeah uh, we can definitely talk about that because our hot topic is going to be about what to do in the summer before uni and uh, how you're going to prep for uni and things <laughs> like that um but let's get on to our thoughts for the week so freen what's your thought for the week this week i've been thinking about um, prayer at all I don't know why I feel mm. like um, yeah I feel like in this uh, now that I don't have anything to do is the one thing I feel like I should focus on and give all my time to and um, with prayer there's so many things involved in it like you have to do your voodoo and everything so um, I was just thinking about you know when you're when you're in your lady days that's when you most think about about it when you can't do it anything mm-hmm. and I think taking advantage of that period when you feel like oh I have to pray but I can't I have to pray but I can't this that period was such a good like good time for me to kind of sit down and be like okay I have to get closer to my dean what am I doing to get closer to my dean and like so um, do you know when you you can't pay with your nails painted so taking them off and doing that whole you know that whole ritual that we do before prayer so I take for example I um, clean my nails you do your ghusl and everything and then you go to prayer and I feel like that that whole um, period that you do before it mm. is so important to get in the mindset that I have to pray now mm. So that's all I was thinking about that. If if this wasn't in place, like if we didn't have to do it, I feel like you're in so many places all over. You're thinking about this, you're thinking about that. And when you actually get to the prayer, you're like, oh, this is just one of the things I have to do. You know, focusing on the prayer. And Mm. I saw so many things where people that relate to this at all and on social media and stuff. Mm. And uh, they said that during prayer, you think about stuff that you wouldn't think, you Mm. know, like random stuff. What am I going to eat today and stuff Mm. like that? And it's so normal. And it's something that happens to all of us. So that before, like 10 minutes before prayer you take that time to think that I'm going to pray yeah. and all the other stuff that you're going to think about in that prayer mm. do it before mm. that's all I've been thinking about and I've been trying to do it yeah. myself that's such a good thought for the week and, the, and the fact that you know you you are thinking about taking that time prior because just like you said we we add prayer on a list of things that we just have to get through and that's why we get all these random thoughts but actually taking the time beforehand to get ourselves into the zone and prepare for prayer is what helps you when you go into it to just focus on that one thing that's yeah. so yeah that's very eye-opening and i feel like we, we all need, we all need <laughs> yeah, that reminder. i know it's because it's praying on time it's a it's a thing that i couldn't do when i was in college for example mm-hmm. every time i used to it just it's just something that it was in, in during my day but nothing you know it's, it's bad to say but nothing that i would be like oh i have to i, I just have to do it because i have to do it mm-hmm. there was no thought process behind it because i was so stressed and i had so much stuff to do and there was so much noise and all of that but you know that peace of mind that oh i'm going to pray and you're like thinking about what's gonna do yeah i've just been happy to do that now yeah. in summer that you have that peace of mind you don't have anything to do yeah and absolutely. all you can focus on is your dean is your dean exactly and you you're building that connection with god i'm doing the same thing which is <laughs> amazing to hear that you're you're doing the same thing too i'm like i go on the train a lot and i realize when i'm on the train i do nothing 
like absolutely nothing i don't listen to anything all i do is stare out the window i'm just a weirdo i don't do anything and i was thinking i'm like why don't i actually try and learn something whilst i'm on the train or put an islamic talk on or something like that i feel like doing that on my train journeys has you know every single day having that little bit of connection with god or learning about god or learning about something about our dean um helps you kind of take that knowledge in yeah definitely you know with uh, islamic talks i feel like even if you don't agree with them it's so important to listen to them and get every kind of point of view that there is and you know with just staring out the window for two hours i can easily do that and just daydream mm. which is so bad because then like i said you get so distracted in uh, prayer so in a train journey i can sit there and just think yeah i normally sleep on train journeys though for two do hours you? i don't know why the whole body warm around me <laughs> it just makes me so sleepy i get worried about missing my stop so i just i, just I, do, I couldn't care less <laughs> i just sleep you just sleep fair enough i mean but i think our, our main message here is to try and use the free time that you have in a productive way not in a stressfully productive way but in a productive way, in an easygoing, productive environment where you are learning things as you go along and you're using your time appropriately. Because at the day, time is a finite, at the end of the day, sorry, time is a finite resource and you're not really, you're not really going to get that time back. Um, when I look at all the summer holidays that I've wasted, uh, <laughs> it seems sad. But yeah, I think I also want to, I've been thinking about learning a new language. I really want to brush up on my Spanish skills. I can um, help you with that. Yeah, oh, that would be great. I would love to like re, you know, I was good at it at GCSE. So I think that's something I want to do is learn a new skill as well in this free time that I have. You just mentioned GCSEs. I'm just going to put this out i have yeah. so much anxiety about results day really? i can't stop thinking about it and it's ruining my summer holidays I honestly imagine. i can imagine i was the same as you it's it's terrible i only had a week before my exams and my results and so it was for, for yeah the for one this that you exam that just gone past alhamdulillah passed. <laughs> oh, oh that's so nice congratulations Lisa. thank you um but in that week i know it's so hard to not think about anything else but i think at one point when you just kind of accept that it's happened and this thing is going to happen anyway you just kind of try and push it to the side and do other things in the meantime me and my friends we went out to sea world or sea life it's oh. <laughs> vicious i think the day before to like reduce the stress oh that's so cute i just i just my first time that there's a result stay in place i there's never this am i passing or am i not i used to get it the day after the mm. week after and stuff like that when i was in in high school so this is like i feel so this is oh so in spain do they give it like straight away yeah in spain there's like three semesters and you do there's a week of exams and then literally if i my exam finish on thursday by monday i have my results oh i see yeah it depends on the semester so if you have a five for example first second you have a five and in the third you have a four then the median is it called is like a five the average yeah yeah Okay, that's how that it works it doesn't depend on one exam that's why i have so much anxiety about anxiety this one about it is i mean the whole exam situation and whether they're like accurate representation is you know a whole other is a whole other topic yeah but yeah um i guess that wraps up our thoughts for the week should we move on to our hot topic now let's do it let's do it okay so our hot topic is about we well we've discussed a bit of it of what to do with our summer and what to do with our free time um try not to stress about results is the main thing it's I'll a <laughs> it's a big try okay it's hard um but you know try not to stress about it um what about preparing for uni how do you how what are you kind of thinking about how are you trying to like prepare for these things so i talked about it so um it's all i'm t- talking about i don't want to move away from my family mm. but when i was when i was applying for it and i was like i want to go to accommodation all i can think about was i'm going to live by myself i'm going to live by myself. now that it's getting closer to the time yeah i don't want to leave my brothers because yeah. <laughs> they're right like i've been with a year with them you know i'm like so close not close to age but i'm a big yeah i, f- I would like to think i'm a big part of the life <laughs> <laughs> so now that i'm moving away i don't want to do it i don't want to leave my parents as well so all i'm doing is i'm trying to get as much time as possible so i don't regret it when i go of course and i'm not like oh i you know i'm gonna miss you so much because i haven't spent enough time with you so that's mm. what i'm trying to do as well in my summer holidays now that i don't have anything to do yeah the one thing i want to say is here school goes on forever i feel like it goes until the second 22nd of july oh your your first year no it like primary school oh, in primary school yes we yeah, used yeah. to finish on the 19th of june i was so surprised <laughs> i was like what's going on so that's yeah, the one thing true. i'm trying to do trying to spend mu- as much time making a lot of moments and obviously it's my own independent journey that is gonna happen anyways i like it or not but you know now it's getting closer to the time i'm like a bit scared yeah. i'm looking forward to it it's like half and half yeah uh, mm. which is which is a good balance i think i feel like um i 
the whole year I was thinking I'm not gonna I'm not gonna live out I'm not gonna live out and then it got to it and I'm like oh I'm gonna I'm actually gonna live out um and I think it is kind of that half half feeling of I don't want to leave my family and I think the first the first time and the first night I think my family were dropping me off they were like crying on the way back (laughs) and it's all like really sad and emotional but you just get used to it and it is such a it's such a cool experience to be able to stay in uni I think because you're surrounded by everyone who's in this learning environment um but yeah that that kind of anxiety is is always going to be yeah. there. I feel like I'm the sentimental one in my family, so I'm going to cry a lot when I leave. Hi, yeah. Mariam. Mariam's joined us today. Uh, <laughs> very long your journey in, Mariam. Is it okay? A very long. It very, very long, long. today. Um, just to bring you up to speed on what we're talking about, we discussed a bit about um, you know our summer holidays and how to use our time a bit more. Um, but now we're talking about preparing for uni, which is something we're both like you know quite well versed in. And Farid is is gonna go now on that journey. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Freema is saying how she has this kind of mixed um, feeling excited, but also feeling kind of you know anxious to leave it all bef- behind. How did you feel when you were kind of prepping for uni? I think my experience was different to both of yours because I lived at home, mm. um, but at the same time I did feel those usual typical feelings of anxiety that you're doing something new and unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the transition from sixth form to university is quite a stark one because suddenly you're very you have to be very independent. Um, and suddenly that you're, you're responsible for your education and if you don't do it, no one's going to really chase you up. You're just going to be kicked out. <laughs> Very Quite true. frankly, right? Yeah. Um, so whilst you're 17, 18, you have to ask permission to go to the bathroom. Now you are solely responsible for your education so I think for me it was very nerve-wracking just um, as most people feel but I think one thing that helped me to navigate that is everyone else is in the same boat and everyone else wants to make friends everyone else is missing home everyone else feels that they're really out of place and I think you just allow yourself time to be able to adjust um, try to meet like-minded people and try to meet people that are not like-minded as well is really important um, great minds don't think alike, I think. So I think you should try to immerse yourself in different kind of groups. Um, but I don't think, you yeah. don't have to plunge in straight away. You just have to assess yourself, what you're comfortable with. Um, and I think one of the advices that I had a couple of years ago, well, not a couple of years ago, but recently, um, that you, you should be able to assess what your comfort zone is. And you should go to an extent that you're uncomfortable but it shouldn't be to the point where you can't navigate it at all because that's not conducive to your development so just try to have a middle boundary where you're uncomfortable but you're able to have foresight don't go into the depth to the depth where that you can't see anything Mm. um so i think that's kind of the way i approached it but i think you evolve because your personality evolves your growth uh, you know you're, you're growing um and you develop and even the people that you surround yourself with also change and yeah, that's okay as well. For sure. I think um you're there for a long time. Three years is a long time. And it's a it's a really long journey. So just take it as it comes, you know? I think the biggest thing is as well, like Mariam said, meet new people. Um just try and meet so many different types of people because I feel like once you find your group and once you find your people, you're stuck with them. Um, but not only that, like, it's good. Try and meet so many different people from don't, so many different walks of life because I feel like that's the only place you get that full opportunity is when you're, f- when you're all new at a new university. You're all in the same boat. You're all trying to, like, meet each other and make new friends. Um, and that's something that you don't get again afterwards. I've been at uni for six years, five years, so it's been a long time. <laughs> that's a long time. And now I know all the faces. I'm just there, like, yeah, I know everyone does. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say I would say try and meet as many new people as you can, make lots and lots of friendships. Can I ask a question? Go ahead. Um, how, what was your experience in, ten, in terms of trying to find good company? I think that would be useful for Reen. I think, in my mind, I, I knew my values when I went to uni. I was very set on them and I think it's the same thing because I had that experience going to a completely different school where I didn't know anyone at like the age of 11. So I feel like for me what was really important is me knowing my values and me knowing what I'm comfortable with and not comfortable with and so when you have that and when you're certain in that and sure in that when you go to a new environment where things are the situation around you can be uncertain I feel like if you're sure in yourself then you'll be able to navigate those waters much better. 
you know and that helps you to find new company because you know which types of people you want to be surrounded by and when someone gives you a vibe where you feel like that doesn't match with me then you're not gonna you're not gonna pursue that any further whereas you can tell which people are kind of on the same wavelength as you and who you get along with and their values end up being the same i feel like a lot of the time we attract people who have the same values as us um and i feel like you end up doing that when you go to uni anyway i think that's it's a a learning experience though at the end of the day definitely but i think if you have um especially with peer pressure sometimes it's quite easy to fall into that trap so whilst you might have very strong values um some people may fall into that trap of thinking i have to be with these people because Mm -hmm. they're the first people i met and i know a lot of people have recounted these experiences alhamdulillah it wasn't my experience so i think for that you have to be able to just politely push them away um, because you just have to be quite diplomatic about it. You could say, okay, I'm going to the library at this time. Would you be able to come? And more often than not, they won't be able to come. So then that's how you kind of just... They, I think people will realise, okay, this person isn't really interested and they'll just move on. Um, so don't feel like you have to stick to the people that you just initially met. Like You can you can ascertain whether they're good for you or not. Um, and if you do feel like, okay, this person is making me uncomfortable, don't be silent about it. Speak to someone you trust. Speak to your family. Speak to someone that you can confide in because sometimes it's really hard to navigate all the emotions that you're feeling simultaneously especially with the pressure of university and the pressure of living out and the pressure of good company it all kind of cascades on you so it's really important that you are able to articulate that Um, and even if you feel that you can't express or it's not tangible I think it's just important just to speak wherever you can speak Um, there's a lot of service at university as well in terms of well-being Um, and if you feel like other areas of your university life is being affected then definitely go speak to student well-being because they can help you in that sense as well Mm -hmm. and usually students Union have a advice center that's impartial as well, so you can go to them as well. Yeah, perfect. I think I tend to. I think I'm really good at pushing people away when I don't feel their their vibe. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think it's just you know you'll go there, you'll meet people, take it as it comes. Take yeah, it easy. and I, it should be so normal, you know. If you, I don't vibe with you the first time we met and you feel it as well, there's no point in forcing it just for the yeah, sake of, of being there physically. Yeah, a hundred percent. It sound, but it's it's fun thinking of you like going to uni and I know. having that. You know, new after experience. when I'm like moving in and stuff, when I come back from here, I'm gonna be like, oh, yeah, I had the I had the worst <laughs> time. I had the best time. Yeah. So we'll see how I evolve. I hope it goes well. I hope you meet some inshallah. lovely, lovely people, inshallah. And um, the thing is, is you'll have so many different, like, I'm sure you'll have so many different classes, so many chances. Like, if you don't get along with a certain group, you'll have so many opportunities to meet other people. Yeah. Um, thing with living out, though, is there might be times where you might feel lonely, and that's just 100% normal. Because you're, you're leaving from a family household where we're all surrounded by so many people and things like that. You're going to a place where you're, you are you, and you're by yourself. You don't have anyone who's, like, inherently attached to you. For example, when I'm at home, like, my sibling's already there and they're always gonna you know if i'm going out i'm gonna need to tell someone that i'm going out things like that whereas when you're at uni and you're sharing a flat with six other people obviously you're not you don't have to report back to these people or anything like that you're not attached in any way um and so sometimes you know people might go and you might feel alone you there might be so many different situations um but yeah i guess the thing is is it's just ups and downs it's just you learn how to live by yourself you learn how to like become a bit more self-dependent rather than you know dependent on other people um so it's a good experience overall i'd say i'm actually doing the opposite thing i'm moving back home this uh. Uh, this year so i'm going to be commuting i'm going to see what commuter life is like um so yeah it's going to be interesting interesting change a lot of people do that in final year they go they yeah there's home. no point because it's a really short year and i don't want to pay rent anymore it's very <laughs> expensive <laughs> and we're Cost quite lucky. crisis yeah we're quite lucky in luton where we're very close to um london so if you do go to university in london it's it is quite commutable um so yeah yeah, I don't, I don't, I personally don't like the whole commuting thing. I feel like it's so long. So I only want to come back on, on weekends, sitting two hours in the train. I told Misa before you came that I'm okay with sitting two hours in the tra- in the train daydreaming. I'm going to take it back because I don't think I can do it commuting. If I have a class at 9am, you'll have to leave at what 6am. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. 
It is tough. I think a lot of things that commuters do is they stay put in one place, i.e. if they've gone to uni, they'll stay in uni for however long they need to stay to and stay afterwards so that they can get some studying done before they get home. And then once they get home, they fully turn off. Whereas I feel like people who live out, you go home, because uni is so close, like you go home, you try and do a bit of studying there, then you're like, let me go back to uni and then you go and you see someone that you're going to start chatting to and then you don't really, and you end up just not getting much work done. So don't fall into that trap, okay? When you, get into the mind of studying make sure you just sit there because I know my house is like 10 minutes away from uni but I would spend all those 10 minutes going to and from because I'd be like oh my house is close by I can just run but you just waste so much time in between um so yeah for any students out there when it does get to crunch time and you need to study just pick a spot and get into the zone also pick a spot in the library and choose that same spot that you're comfortable because more often than not most people do that and then that other person holds you accountable and they might do a completely different degree to you but it's very good to have a library part- uh, partner. Yeah. And also, you don't have to only just be friends with people in your course. Whilst it's good to have some sort of allies in your class if you don't show up or if you can't, um, it's really good to have friends that are from other disciplines because it really does broaden your mind. And university is a space for discussions and to think about other perspectives. So that's the place you should do it. Don't just think you have to be exclusive in terms of who you interact with, um, especially when it comes to your course. I think six forms tend to have that kind of way of thinking just because it's so small but you have to think about in university it's so extensive and there's so many extensive views as well yeah i'm hoping to be really active when i go there in my first year yeah join join as many societies as you can i actually regret that i don't think i joined i think i joined like one society join as many as you can there's so many like random things that go on at uni so i'd say like yeah. like things like climbing as well like just random things you'd never think you'd get involved in do that type of stuff there was a society in my university that was a nintendo switch society wow. and people used to just book out lectures and used to play switch and so yeah we had like film club and things like that they'd like project films on the in the lecture theater do it because you're not going to do it afterwards when it's not fun anymore <laughs> or they do a lot of free things as well mm-hmm. so if you like if there's any students listening sign up to all the free activities because you're never going to get that opportunity to do again yeah take all the freebies and freshers fair yeah. even just if you do don't it. need it just take it <laughs> i will i feel like the one more thing i'm worried about is um uh, the whole transition thing so moving all my stuff because i feel like it's not going to fit in that room and then i'm going to have to cook by myself you know that whole thing that <laughs> my mom does for me yeah. i'm gonna have to grow out of that but it's that's good learning skills for your future it's, that's one yeah, thing definitely. I do feel like I've had because I commuted and I didn't live out I feel like I really have missed out on those skills and people can argue okay you can do that in your own house but you really won't do it because your mom's there I still got my mom to not got my mom but my mom still cook for me <laughs> and, and I cook it over is very and I put it in the fridge because your situation is so different I just feel like at this age I should know how to cook and my mom's probably thinking the first time she said something that's really productive on radio yeah um, no, I, I think, think cooking like I really is a skill. I think you you learn these skills though. At, at one point, you will like, pick the, pick it up. Mm. You know, whenever you end up being by yourself, like I say, I can't cook, but if I needed to, you I can could. do it. Yeah. I could if I needed to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I feel like these are life skills that you just end up picking up as time goes on. Yeah. I think one other thing I wanted to talk about is going to uni is the actual education aspect of it because oh, obviously yes. that is a big big part of it. Um, <laughs> fundamental, <laughs> fundamental part of it. Um, in terms of the jump from a level to uni did you feel like there was a jump first of all and how did you try and overcome that jump what are some of our educational tips and for me my kind of trajectory is a bit different because i did sciences and then i did the english degrees Mm -hmm. so it was a jump from gcse's to degree 11 so i was really stressed in my first year because whilst everyone else was uh, moving from the a levels to the first year of university which is usually the similarities I was having to learn basic um, writing skills in terms Mm. of how we to pose an argument in terms of a degree level um, whilst I just jumped from GCC level so that was really really difficult but I think the way I kind of um, navigated that is was I was quite expressive to my lecturers and I I was very honest with them I said I don't have the same requisites as everyone else in terms of having that support during a levels i did sciences it's very different it's very granular it's not more about your thought processes it's very objective and now you're telling me to write something really subjective and Mm -hmm. i remember i had this one piece of uh, feedback which was really 
disgruntling. Um, I remember this lecturer saying that this is like the worst piece of like, this is not how you write an essay. And if anyone ever writes feedback like that, you should report them. That's the first thing I would say. They are not allowed to speak to you like that. Mm. Um, they're not supposed to demonize you. The whole point is that you're paying them so much money for, for them to teach you, to help you improve. You're literally paying them. And it's your right for you to go report that. So do report it. I say that quite in with emphasis. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that was quite difficult. Um, and the way I kind of tried to help myself was I tried to make friends that were quite comfortable with doing essays. Uh, I tried to do external research and try to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I write? I even got myself a tutor uh, in my first year, not for degree level, I literally got it for like A-level level. Or GCC level, I just I can't have I, have I don't have a recollection. But the point is, I was very proactive in terms of how I can help myself, so I can be on par with everyone. And I never felt on par with en- en- everyone. I think that's the main point as well. Um, it actually took me two two years, mm-hmm. even my final year. It took me two to three years to figure out. Okay, this is where I stand. Where this is where my position is. Um, but I think if I look back, I think those experiences, whilst it didn't translate in terms of my uh, grades well alhamdulillah I actually got 69 average but whilst it's not it wasn't I didn't feel it was indicative of my intellect because I wasn't able to articulate myself because I didn't have those skills that mm-hmm. everyone else and it was an equitable experience um, I do think that it made me resilient and I think you have to realize that you can only do what you can and the rest of Allah firstly you have to recognize that yeah, um, because that's within your capacity and Allah doesn't ask you to um, feel very demonized about what your what your outcome is. He mm-hmm. just wants you to do your best. So have that feeling inside. Um, but I think I'll finish this point in the next half. Okay, that's absolutely fine. Um, so yeah, thank you all very much for listening. I think that was a really productive discussion on going to uni. And you know, to summarize what Mariam said, it's trying to take you know proactiveness in your approach to learning, which will help you in university for sure. Um, but yeah, inshallah, we'll see you all in the next half to discuss our main topic. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. This is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome back to Sister Speak. Um, you're joining us after the break. Uh, prior to the break, we discussed a bit about going off to uni um, and making a bit more use of our time. Um, and now we're going to move on to our main topic, which is surrounding our identity and the extent to which it has an influence on our place in society. It's quite an interesting topic and quite a lot of different angles to delve into this from. Um, I'm going to start off quite broadly Okay, just to grasp an idea of what identity is and what identity means, um, what is? How would you describe your identity, um, and how would you describe yourself? Uh, okay, I'll go first. I'll describe myself. Does it is identity? Does it include like ethnicity and stuff? What does it mean to you? What does it mean? Okay, I'm just gonna say I feel like I'm a loud person. <laughs> I laugh a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I like to talk a lot with people, and I'm a really uh, family orientated orientated person. I think for me that would be more your personality, right? I don't What's know. What's your identity? So Although I can say yeah, my ethnicity is Indian. I don't know what identity is, you know. Mm. Identity know for saying. me is a sen- your sense of self, right? Okay. So <coughs> it's Expand. how you identify yourself, which is literally the word probably derives from. Um, probably. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, for me, it's like what my, I, if we think about what identity means by Oxford definition, I think that's what it is. But I think it's how, if someone asks me, what do you identify? And I, th- I would say I'm Muslim. Mm. And I think if someone asks me that, that would be the first immediate response because that's something that I'm very proud of. And I think that's how I live my life mm-hmm. according to my uh, moral and morals and beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I have other aspects of my identities where I... Aspect of my identity, there's not one more than me, but uh, there's other aspects to my identity where, where I have an ethnic background, I have, um, I have my nationality, I think those are the things that we kind of often subscribe to identity. But I do mm. think that's quite interesting how Fareen said that she immediately describes herself her, in terms her of personality, personality yeah, exactly. which is actually really interesting. I think yeah. that's quite a nice way to describe yourself. Like I identify someone that, you know, the attributes that the you, attributes you and the qualities that you have. It's not necessarily just the, these kind of labels that we subscribe to. And I think what was interesting when you were speaking is the fact that 
all of the con the attributes that you describe towards identity for example your religion or your ethnicity or your nationality are like groups of things like labels that people subscribe to where groups of people subscribe to it. it's almost like what group you belong to mm. so even though identity is kind of meant to be or we would see it as an individual type thing maybe it's a bit more broad and collective in nature than we realize isn't it like there's so many things that amount to your identity so there's no one thing yeah, yeah absolutely yeah um so in terms of how you guys described yourself there and then do you think that others would other people who saw you would have the same description of you or would agree with that i think people a lot of people don't ever identify my ethnicity correctly so i'm not going to even open that discussion <laughs> i see you um, i you? can back mariam up because i did think she was arab when i first met her so <laughs> Anyways, we, we move on the conversation. <laughs> so I think I think what I was trying to show with that question is that we've all said so many different things as to what contributes to our identity. But then the way other people then view you, they also have a different idea of what your identity is. And it kind of goes to show that identity means different things to other people, but also your identity, what it's dependent on, is not just on you and, and your kind of lineage or where you're from or your background and things like that, but also depends on what people around you are saying in that sense. That can also have a big contribution to your identity as a person. What do you guys think about that? I think, I feel like for identity, so the question that you ask is about how other people perceive you. Um, because we have a definitive way of describing identity immediately we would see, okay, this person has this ethnicity, this person subscribes to this ideological belief. But I don't think um, when you're, when we, when someone first meets someone, I don't think you think about the identity, you think about the impression and how they, for me personally, is how do they make me feel? Mm. Um, I was, whilst in nature, I would say, okay, this person looks like this, they might be from a certain culture. But I wouldn't say this is their identity. I don't think that would be the forefront of my thoughts. Mm. I would be, my the forefront of my thoughts would be, Okay, how, what is my impression of them? Mm. I guess it's not the first thing, but it is something that contributes to it, is the point that I was trying to make in terms of, and it might not be the first thing for you, but you don't know about other people mm. because there are loads of other people in the world who would see someone and would try and gauge their identity and contribute to it as well. Um, contribute in what sense? So there is a lot of ways that people can contribute to the making up of an identity, I feel, in my personal opinion. Um, and I feel like we do it a lot in media in terms of, describing mass groups of people mm. we give them labels and we give them attributes and we give them connotations and that builds up an identity for them which they themselves haven't even had a chance to um, show or rectify or adjust in any way shape or form and so for then in that sense people can take that identity and run with it and it might just become the first thing that they realize when they see another person does that make sense? Yeah, so what you're trying to say is the prejudices that they may have against 100%. a certain uh, group because that's what they've defined this person's yeah. identity to be. To be. And it's a... Would you say it's problematic in any way? I, what's um, your thoughts I on think, this? I think so, yeah, because um, there's so obviously during your life there's so many people that are going to attribute to what you... Like Alamisa said, you said it in such a nice, uh, they make sense way, but I'm going to say a bit complicated. People tell you the way that you have to be kind of, I don't know, it's kind of weird. They say like, oh, if she, this, oh, it depends on the day, I feel like. If one day I'm like really loud with one person and with another person I'm really quiet, then they have different impressions of, of about me. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's odd, yeah. On a on a more personal level, that's one hundred percent true. Yeah, I see the labels that people like, attributed to Muslims are whether if a person is covered up, they yeah recognized or they attribute to someone that's oppressed. But that's that definition doesn't derive from Islam. So where does that come from? And mm. then that's not unpacked or questioned or critiqued. So I think when you have these preconceived notions about a certain identity. I think you need to be able to ask, okay, where does this derive from? Mm -hmm. Is this actually from the community? What's the community saying? What is the action Muslim woman saying? I need to hear their thoughts. Yeah, I think I completely agree. Um, in terms of the real consequences of this particular situation, um, in terms of creating identities for others, adding on labels um, and doing all of this, around the world as well it has huge issues in terms of being able to push forward a narrative against a group of people um and then be able to do you know inconceivable 
um, actions to them in terms of things that are just unjustifiable by law. You know, um, we hear about so many atrocities occurring around the world. In a lot of those areas, if you ask some people, some people will agree that that was probably the right thing to do because in their minds, the identities that's been created about these people, um, you know, they have a very negative opinion on them. And so it follows through. So I think there are real life consequences to to this type of thing. Um, and it's really hard to kind of navigate because we are all here and we've all, you know, living in the UK, we, we have quite weird concepts of identity because we're kind of mixed from so many different parts. Um, but then we've all kind of come across perhaps or we've heard of experiences where people have been negatively targeted due to the fact that they have an image of them, which isn't 100% true. But that's yeah. that's gone, you know, and affected them in a bad way. Um, I think one thing that I find really hard to reconcile is that when a certain identity is put on the pedestal against another mm-hmm. um, and there's like inconsistencies when it comes to defining people. 100%. So one central group is is afforded with justice and another group isn't even though they is criminalized because of their actions exactly and i think that for me is very difficult to um navigate what why do you think that is why do you think our identities have come like history has progressed to a point where our identities and i feel like we could come to a consensus consensus on this the fact that our identities does have a very direct effect on where um, kind of the sensibilities that we're afforded um, and that type of thing, our place in the world, essentially, mm. perhaps even the cost of human life. Um, why do you think and how do you think we've reached that point? I think you should go. <laughs> I'm losing it's my a, train a big question. Like, you can take yeah. a to think about it. Do you repeat it? Because I need time to think so about this. The fact that we've come to this point, like progressing through time to the point where, where we know and we've seen very real life examples where people's identities does matter right Mm -hmm. in terms of you know how they're helped or if they are helped um how have we got to this point in time why has it happened what's contributed to this process i i I think the short answer is i don't know if there's a particular deterministic way of approaching this because Mm. there's multiple factors that perhaps contribute to this um and i think one way that we navigate through it is understanding that the like we mentioned in the previous half um is that people have these ideas of other people but they're not willing to critique where it come from and so then when it's consolidated to that extent mm-hmm. it often can lead to people thinking okay well, this is the actual truth and this is fact and they think it's objective mm-hmm. when it's really not mm-hmm. and so when you're critiquing, critiquing someone that has a, a staunch view of something it's very difficult to rationalize with them and so then this is transcended in terms of, you know, if, if, if it is transcended into policies and then it becomes, the, it becomes very normalised. Um, and then that's why when we see these atrocities, it's justified because everyone else has this one approach or one way of thinking. So I think what it is, is that our lack of um, critique on certain policies or even in terms of privilege, I think there's certain privileges mm-hmm. that certain groups have and mm-hmm. they exercise that judgment. And yeah. so therefore that, becomes a majority view and the minority views are left behind because they don't have that position of power to articulate themselves and even if they do articulate themselves they're not heard yeah and so then there's a disparity of power um, between those two groups Mm. and people are not going to be able to kind of help themselves because even if they try to articulate it it's just not going to be heard yeah, I think that's a I think that's a really interesting point, um, and probably a right one because it's the majority voice that is heard, not necessarily what is right that comes through. Mm-hmm. Because if the majority are saying one thing, then that is right in that sense. Um, and in terms of being in places of privilege, I think I was watching um, an interview recently, uh, and it was a, it was a discussion program as well, and they were talking about the current kind of refugee crisis, um, and you know all of this stuff about boats and, and whatnot. And they're saying that, um, I think the host was, in my opinion, it was quite a tone deaf kind of response because what she was saying was that, why should we care about what the, you know, Convention for Human Rights says and the and the European kind of laws for human rights and things like that? Why do we need to care about what they say? These are our shores and our waters. And so if we want to send people away, we should be able to do that. And I think that, in my opinion, that was a very tone deaf response because of yes. the fact that you've obviously never 
ever seen or had anyone go through that experience before or you've not even been in a position to hear the stories that people are saying you do not have the basic understanding of the impact that that has on the lives of those people because i feel like any human being would be able to sympathize with the with these people who are coming over on treacherous waters through no fault of their own number one and also for the fact that you know they have some of them have no choice in the matter you wouldn't be able to say such something so so blasé and like you know generalizing a statement as that being like it's our own waters why can't why can't we just forget about what international convention says i was so shocked to hear that because i think that shows the level of privilege that a lot of these people are sat at and these are the people given a voice and i'm like how how can you say we don't want to you know focus on an international convention of human this is this shocking to me because i'm like those things are in place to avoid issues which we are seeing in this day and age as well where certain groups of people are targeted because of whatever reason you know um which shouldn't happen and these things are in place to prevent that from happening and yet here we are in a position we've circled back you know however many years after and we're saying actually let's just disregard that and do whatever we want yeah i think what it signals is a larger symptom of society where everyone's individualistic Mm. and so when you have these people of power and they have um often it's driven by finance uh, when you have when financial incentives and, and yeah, objectives. your financial incentive is being compromised, you won't be able to have that foresight um, to be able to empathise with that person because your large amount of wealth might be jeopardised if that if there's a whole community that is seeking refuge, perhaps from refuge from the the things that another country has done to them, even your own country that has done to them. Done to them. Um, and I think this is why it's really difficult for people to have these kind of conversations in those positions because it's it's not about the collective at that point. That person's only thinking in a very tunnel vision way that my wealth is going to be impacted mm-hmm. and that's it. And they may argue that's completely wrong and, you know, uh, we don't see it that way. But then the question really lies, okay, then where's the sense of empathy? Mm-hmm. Why isn't there a sense of empathy? Why is your immediate reaction as a human being not to be able to see someone else's suffering? Mm-hmm. Despite them may coming to your country... The fact that they have to take this treacherous route and their whole life, they have to give their whole life away because they don't have a sense of safety. How is that problem problematic in when they were trying to seek refuge? Do you think that their identity plays a part into them having that type of mindset? Because do you think we sympathise a lot more with these people? Maybe because, um, you know, we've seen stories or heard people of our own backgrounds doing similar things or even if not doing similar things we're also childs of immigrants we know the suffering that it takes mm. to come to another country and and you know set up shop essentially yeah i definitely it i agree with you you sympathize a lot and i remember when i was in school they from prior to school they brought refugee the people that uh, how you say people come to um, they they were people uh, persons that came from to from boats to to the coast of yeah refugees basically yeah so they came and i remember they were giving a talk and they were saying how hard it was for them and i remember one of the one of the guys he lost his mom and just hearing that we were in what in high school and it just makes you it makes you empathize a lot with uh these people and then people that are empowered there i feel like it's kind of the smaller the circle the more you your identity is like shown so it's like when there's a lot of people it's a general thing that they're refugees and they're coming and i don't want them here but then the smaller it gets the more you see the suffering that each person is going through when they come i see see. there's so many things that to contend with because it's political it's financial yeah um it's about even the identity of a whole entire country is contingent on how they um negotiate with other countries and Mm. so it's just there's so much that has to... There's so many things that are in line with... Um, what I'm trying to say is there's so many things that you have to contend with and it's not something that's very simplistic. It's very complex. But the point of the matter is that whether it's complex or not, I think dehumanising anyone, it should be just by default wrong. And I think that's something that's really difficult, especially you do see a lot of people who say that they go when they go into politics, they feel like they're compromising their values and morals and beliefs because it, it's not, it's no longer about them and how they feel. It's about thinking about the wider party and their political views and then the negotiation of different countries and how they interact with each other. Mm. There's so many things that you have to consider. And so for a lot of people, it's, it's how do you reconcile with your morals and beliefs when everyone else 
perhaps haven't had that exposure mm. don't know how to have those uncomfortable uh, conversations and even if we th- move away from the conversation of um the specific example yeah this specific example if you think about when you talk about microaggressions at work it's very uncomfortable for a lot of people to think about how their sense of uh, their, their lived experiences um has informed the way they speak and it's not completely right in terms of how it is received by another person and that's why it's microaggression mm. it's very and that's why there's so many uh, trainings in place because people have unconscious bias right so i think that's another example of showing that you have to be able to be you have to, you have to exercise a certain sense of introspection that you may have certain lived experiences that may have exposed you or even the lack of exposure has informed informed your opinion and you have to be able to be critical in how you um, implement your judgment yeah. um, but also open to hear other people's point of views I mm. think if you walk through life and you have every one dimension and you have one particular view and you're not open to hearing other people's views you don't have to agree with it but if you're closed off to hearing other people's opinions and you lack that empathy to see someone else's suffering then you need to question okay where does this come from mm. yeah very very true um you were talking about the fact that you know a dehumanizing group of people should never should never be okay um i think that's all too often a weapon that we see being utilized by you know any type of um whether that be political groups or whether that be you know on the general wider societal level around the world we see that kind of technique being used um to what extent do you think language has an importance in being able to create an identity for for people and i guess it's in your forte as well yeah language is so it's so powerful the way you can describe a person so that's why when you see that's why i said in the beginning mm. that when a certain group is afforded a sensibility and another group isn't, isn't yeah that's because the language is used it, to portray that certain group is different to another yeah and so then you empathize more when someone is okay this person is fleeing from destruction and mm. another person is coming to your shores mm. what does that what does that show one person is a burden and one person is someone that actually is in need mm. and so they may have the same exact same positions but one is afforded language that is 100% accurate to what they're experiencing yeah. but another person isn't and then you have to think about okay but why is it why is there inconsistency why is there in this? that discrepancy yeah yeah why is there that discrepancy good question I wish I knew the answer yeah. <laughs> I think I it's it's the it's so strange to talk about because we know the discrepancies are there. We can see them. And actually, uh, a lot of people have been asked directly, these people who make these decisions, a lot of the time they are asked these questions quite directly by uh, journalists, by media and whatnot. And they don't come to an answer. Yeah, They tend to deflect. They do I, tend to deflect. And um, I find it interesting because I'm like, it's hard for us to come to a direct issue because we can't directly pinpoint what the reasoning is. Um, and yet all of this goes on and it comes out to play, to play in such a way where it's like, it's so obvious to see the discrepancy and yet no one can do anything yeah, about I'm, it. It feels There was one experience when I went to the European youth event in Strasbourg where one of the delegates was questioning an MEP and they were talking about... What's an MEP? Um, okay, it's like a member of parliament, but don't quote me on it. Anyways, it's something similar Fine. to that. Okay. Um, so yeah, so then uh, the... The delegate was saying that why is this one certain country in Europe is afforded the a certain language and the ethnic cleansing of another another country yep. isn't isn't yeah and the the person that the position of power kept saying that's not the same case it's not the same it's not the same and you actually see that same language used in a lot of other people who do this when you try to ask that question directly they say this is not the same instance when quite directly it is and then and the, sometimes the other instances may be even worse exactly um and the delegate kept saying well that doesn't answer my question firstly Mm. and the secondly um all he's asking for is consistency if you have one notion you need to be applied to every single country that's true and they just walk away yeah because they have nothing else to answer and so at that point you just question well why is certain principles afforded to one certain group and another isn't because because i think that's the main thing it's not that one group should be afforded sensibilities over another it's more that suffering at any at any regard is shouldn't shouldn't happen especially to the extents which they are happening if we are going to afford sensibilities to one group why the question is why are we not doing it for for all the groups that are out there um 
I think the the kind of importance of language is huge there because like you said it affects the way that you think about it um but not only that do you think like language can take away from the seriousness of an issue um I was I recently wrote a piece about um kind of genocide in a particular part of the world and genocide is a very big very heavy word with quite serious implications because of the seriousness of what it's describing um and looking at kind of the history um and looking at what's going on in that particular area of the world it seems like that word isn't as actively used for that people to me in my opinion it seemed like it was because of their identity simply because of the fact that their identity isn't important enough to be afforded the use of that word what do you guys think about that and what do you guys think about language kind of taking away from the seriousness of a of an issue at hand I have enough thoughts on it. I think one of the things that we'll be talking about next week is the Bosnian genocide. And I think that's something that I didn't even come to know until a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not s- studying the curriculum. I think if anything else was, if the whole genocide took place in, this, in the landscape of Europe, surely we should know about this. Should, surely there should be in our history. And what was, what was the reasons why this genocide came? It was the ethnic cleansing of a certain group of people who held an ideological belief who are Muslims, mm-hmm. and that's symptomatic with Islamophobia, and Islamophobia is very prevalent. Yeah. So I think that type of erasing of history really is detrimental because it also points to the f- fact that certain groups of certain groups are able to uh, completely dismiss the experiences of people just because they don't have this certain identity, as mm. you mentioned, and they don't like fully empathise with the and fully don't empathise. And even if you think about colonial history in the UK. I only learnt about it when I got to university and I paid for that. Mm. I don't have any recollection. I don't think there is any kind of pointers towards that kind of history through your education when you're younger yeah. up till you're 18. Yeah. And, the, and it begs the or question the, or why. The, or they introduce you to the topic, but it's gloss very over brief. It. It's they very gloss glossed over. It, yeah. None of And in terms of, I guess you could say, the truths about what our involvement was in those situations they don't go into half the depth that you would you would find out afterwards if you had interest in the topic to look it up yourself um and it kind of shows it kind of makes you beg the question of like why 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 is that the case why are we kind of conditioned to gloss over those things and not know our own history in in more detail and depth um why in terms of of this particular genocide but also other genocides around the world that um arguably some sources say are still occurring um, and yet people, international, intergovernmental organisations, international organisations are still failing in that sector. Why is why is that happening? You know, so many big questions um, and so many inequalities that essentially come at the heart of it. Um, yeah. It's quite depressing. It's, it is quite depressing. Quite um, but it kind of makes you realise the importance of the identity, your own identity and the identity of your wider community or the group or the demographic that you fit into. What is that identity? What is the perception that other people have of your identity and how is that affecting you? Because our identity is all affect the even on a micro level kind of the career that we're gonna go into and all these types of things. But we are unfortunately at the end of our show. <laughs> Thank you all very much for listening. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefmluton.